Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PJ Professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directories, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also follow or harass me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro so another week has passed in august we're slowly winding down the summer making our way into so hopefully cooler days and afternoons into september but mid-august here we are um lots of golf to cover uh lots of questions coming in from twitter and instagram so let's go and jump in with first with the ladies state amateur which was hosted at Tennessee National, just outside of Knoxville. I want to congratulate Michaela Bardwell for winning the overall championship division, uh, shooting three under total 213 for the week. Great jobs there, rounds of 71, 73, and in a closing 69. Coming in second was Catherine Codile, uh, shooting even par for the three days. Candy Adams in third, followed in a T4. Uh, by Abby Herman, Mariah Smith, and Caroline Cadill. Also uh, tied for seventh with Shelby Linford, Sophie Linder, and Alyssa Montgomery. We're rounding out the top ten in the championship was Emily Neal. Also moving over to the first flight, top five there, we had Darlene Wernack. We also had coming in second with Karen Rader Carson. In third place, Rhonda Switzer-Nadisa. Fourth place, Robin Banner. Fifth place, Susan Miller. Moving into the second flight, Hazel Davis ties for first with Jean Craft. In third was Patty Manny Johnson. Fourth place, Ann McKean. And tied for fifth was Carol Gowdy and Lynn McGee. Congratulations, lady. Great ladies. Great playing up there at Tennessee National, just uh, in Loudon, just outside of Knoxville. It is a Greg Norman design. Great course. I remember playing it years ago. So moving into the Pro-Am series. Um, this week at Nashville at 12 Stones, Chris Wheeland wins there. Congrats, Chris, on that. Memphis, Windyke Country Club. Congratulations. First place finish, Chase Harris. Second place, Mike Vance tied for third. Matt Brock, Brian Wood, Russ Garner. Moving over to Knoxville at Iguani Farms. Congratulations to James Chapman winning. Braxton Hunter coming in second. Chattanooga played at Knob North this week. Congrats to Eric Hester on his win there. Finishing off with the Tri-Cities at Glen Roche. Congrats to Alan Fennell for first place. Chris Stacy second. Rusty Jones third. Brian Bentley fourth. And Jake Finn fifth. So rounding out the Pro-Am series there. Again, you can check all this out on TennesseeGolfHouse.com. Click the respected links. You can go to the TGA to find out how the women did. Uh, you can go to the TGA also to find out the National Pro-Am, and then all Memphis, Tri-Cities, Knoxville, Chattanooga will have their own headings down there at the bottom. So, 
This week was the Honors Council Fire Pro-Am. Now, this year it was sponsored by In His Grip Golf. If you remember back uh, several episodes, my friend Joey Hickman came on, who is the Director of Golf Operations for the Tennessee section uh, of In His Grip. And so they took on the sponsorship. There were 50 teams invited um, to play, one professional, three amateurs in the event. Um, Half the field played each course each day. So that you were flighted by the um, course selection that you were played. I'm going to talk, you can check out uh, everything there on uh, the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Uh, but congrats to Jonathan Hodge uh, winning. Uh, second place goes to Stephen Fox. Tied for third, Johan Koch and Cody Provo. Coming in tied for fifth, Scott Masters, who's also been on the show, friend of the show, and then friend Kevin Snell. So rounding out your top five. So great job, great playing. I got to play. I'll go ahead and tell you I finished 12th or T12, so not quite there yet, but I am proud of my 72 at the honors on the second day. So got up and down from everywhere when I had to. Courses play tough. They're beautiful. They're always a treat to play. So let's go ahead and dive into the listeners' questions. So the first one's coming in from Will. He is asking how to check the line of your club and why is it important. So, Will, when we're looking at the line of the club, it's how the club sits on the ground and the angle that it comes off. Um, now, if you're playing one-leaf clubs like DeChambeau, then all your line or your irons would be the same. But normally what you'll find out is the line of an, a long iron, a three or four, is going to be flatter or less than a the line of a wedge, which will be closer to 64, 65, um, as the standards go. And so what they're doing is they're helping with the longer clubs, get you a more rounded, shallow swing, and get you a more steep, aggressive swing with the wedges to create the spin. So the reasons we check, or how you can check to see if your line goes off, uh, first of all, go to your, your retail store, your local club pro, um, you have lots of fitting accounts or fitters throughout the state as well that you can go to. But a quick way that you can kind of check yourself is if you were to put a piece of electrical tape on the bottom of your club um, and, and then hit at the range. So as you hit at the range, what you'll notice after three or four shots, you can look at the bottom of the electrical tape and you'll start to see a, a wear pattern. Is it slightly towards the toe? Is it dead center? Is it slightly to the heel? Well, if it's digging to the toe, what that tells us is that at impact, the toe of the club is down, which is actually going to open the face and cause the ball to leak right or spin less left, depending on the shot that you're hitting. And if we see the heel pattern or the wear on the heel pattern, we're going to know that the toe is up, which actually closes the face and cause it to create more leftward spin. So that's why we start using the lie angle to help in a fitting help neutralize side spin and the line becomes more important on your shorter clubs uh, as you introduce loft um, there's a, an example I'll show when I'm doing a fitting but we've got a little magnetic tools touch to the uh, the face and if we take a wedge and, and let it flat then the square face is pointed right where we want to but when I bring the toe up and I keep the face square to our line the more loft the club has, the more leftward it's going to point for a right-handed player. Um, and the more the toe goes down, the more rightward it's going to face for a right-handed player. Um, and so what that's doing is actually 
changing the angle that the face is hitting the ball. So if the face is not dead square to the line goal being square as well, uh, are correct, then the, the loft of the club will pull it off. So it doesn't hurt as much on drivers and fairway woods, but definitely affects your short irons more. Um, and a couple degrees off can actually move it seven to eight yards um, on a wedge shot. Um, so you can miss some shots really good just because the line goes off. And there's whole theory of whether your wedges should be the same as your irons because you're not making full swings. I'm not going to dive into that. But we'll, again, one quick test is, like I said, put some tape on the bottom of the club, hit some shots at the range, um, and notice where your wear patterns are. Um, but the best thing to do is go seek your local club pro, um, go to a club fitter, big box, um, and or Golf Galaxy, Club Champion, Golf Tech, whatever, um, and go in there and see if those guys can put some tape on there and have you hit some shots and kind of show you what's going on. And most of those will have a bending machine. Um, that they can make those adjustments for you there. So, Will, I hope that helps you with that lie angle question. Uh, if you have anything else, just reach back out to me. I can always help you with that. Our next one comes from Eric, and Eric is asking about ball below his feet. He says he tends to struggle when hitting the balls below his feet, and what adjustments do I need to make? So, there's a couple of things going here, and I'll actually cover all four sides of it, uh, of how the ball can set. So, First, the question is when the ball is below the feet. So technically, your feet are higher than the ball. So the club has to become longer to be able to get down to that. So the best way there is actually just to bend over a little bit more. Um, and, and what that's going to do is just going to give you the ability to get down through the shot. The other thing I recommend is normally take an extra club and make a smoother swing. So if it's 8-iron distance, take the 7 because it gives you a little bit more lift and then again, you're not trying to help lift it up in the air. Um, now let's go ahead and flip that the other way. So if the ball is above our feet, so now technically the ball is closer to our knees in the exaggeration than it is our feet. So what needs to happen here is we actually need to stand up a little bit more so that we don't get so steep and aggressive. Um, and then when we're playing with that, still take the extra club uh, for the loft but go ahead and choke down and make the club shorter itself because, again, if it's 8-iron distance, let's take the 7 and choke it down um, to about a 9-iron length. That way we can get away with still hitting a shot about an 8-iron, so it's kind of, you know, two adjustments on this one. Um, but then you're just going to make your normal swing. You're just going to try and stand up a little bit taller to get your chest further away from the hill so, again, you don't get steep and get caught up. Now, when you're hitting the shot above your feet, the tendency is because you're standing up more, you swing more around the body, the face will tend to shut down a little bit more and it normally spins more leftward, again, for a right-handed player. Um, and more of a draw bias. So that's one of those things where you kind of line up right to, right to compensate for it. Now going back to the ball below the feet, um, when that tends to happen, we tend to be a little bit steeper because we've bent over more. Um, and the ball tends to leak a little right. So again, making those compensations. Now, a lot of times the players will try and fix it with their hands, and then we get at the old double cross, which we won't get dive into. But normally speaking, if the ball's below your feet, it's going to curve right for a right-handed player or left for a lefty. Um, and if it's above, it's going to turn more of a draw motion um, for both right and left-handed players. Now, let's go to the other side of that. So now we have an uphill slope we're hitting into it. 
So the biggest mistake I see here is people don't calculate the additional loft that the hillside is going to create because now you're not swinging on a level plane for a right-handed player. Your left foot is higher than your right, so you're actually swinging upward on the ball. And as you do that, you're going to create more loft. So the biggest thing to do there, first of all, is probably take two extra clubs just to be safe. So if it's a pitch and wedge, we're going to hit us an 8-iron um, just to account for the extra up in the air. Um, and, and then you're just going to swing around your body. Now the things you're going to have to look with this is you'll need to move your, with the downhill, or I'm sorry, with the uphill stance, you'll need to ball, move the ball a little bit forward in your stance, um, closer to your uphill foot. And the reason you want to do this is so that you don't bottom out too soon. By moving the ball further up, you're able to give you the opportunity to reach through. If you were to put the ball further back, you may not get the club all the way down to the ground, you may hit it kind of thin and come out in a lower trajectory. Again, by moving the ball forward, this is also add loft. So that's kind of why we recommend the two, um, or I recommend the two extra clubs in that situation. You also want to try to match your shoulders uh, and your feet to the slope level as much as possible. So you're trying to shallow the plane, but then again, just making sure that you don't hit too uh, too far behind the ball and mishit it. Now let's flip it the other way and if our feet or the ball is in a downhill slope, um, things we have to do here is we're already going to be de-lofting it because of uh, the slope of the hill. And we're going to kind of match our feet and stance uh, like we talked about in the uphill. And this time we're going to move it more towards our trail foot or our uphill foot. And again, this is just going to help us be able to get down to the ball sooner without getting any grass caught in. But also what happens here is because we're de-lofting it and we've moved the ball back in our stance, if you have a 7-iron distance, you probably need to hit an 8 or possibly a 9. Um, just because we need the extra loft to help get the ball up in the air so it doesn't become this low bullet and start running over. Um, so club, club and a half uh, when you're hitting downhill. Two clubs when you're hitting uphill. Uh, if the ball is below your feet, it will tend to leak right, so aim out to the left. If it's above your feet, right-handed players, um, aim to the right because it tends to leak left. So, Eric, I hope that gets you through that with your ball below your feet. Um, again, the biggest thing is bend a little bit more from the waist um, and using a longer club and just make your normal golf swing. Now, this question comes in from Tommy, and it's about... How to pick a go-to shot. Now, if you go back several episodes, I talked about pick one tee shot um, and just try and hit that all the time. Um, you're seeing a lot of really good players like Zach Johnson, um, Dustin Johnson, who tend to work the ball one direction. Brooks Kepka falls into that list as well. They can work the ball when they have to, but under pressure, they want that one go-to swing. Um and so Tommy's asking about which one do you choose? Do you choose the cut or, or the draw? I, and really, Tommy, that, that's your personal preference. Um, if you go back to last year, 2019's uh, British Open, Shane Lowry is a drawer of the golf ball. Um, that was the shots he hit from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, putting himself in the final group going into Sunday. Now, under the windy conditions of Sunday, he quickly aborted his big high draw and went to this little low fairway finding cut. Um, and he just kept putting shots in the middle of fairway and getting it done. Now, it's a shot he's practiced years and years and knows he can hit it under pressure. Um, 
but he didn't try to work the ball depending on what the hole looked like that day. He just found this one shot that would hit it in. And you'll find out the, the best players tend the one to hit their go-to shot under pressure because it's the one they worked on the most. Um, normally what we see going through the launch monitor numbers, um, and I, I do promote a draw, but I'm not saying it's longer by any means. They're some of the longest hitters on tour hitting cuts, but they have all their clubs dialed in and their swings magnified for that. But I normally see that players that are swinging more around the body are able to create more speed um, and with a little bit of a draw hits a shot flight that is a little bit more controllable. Um, but it's your choice on that, Tommy. Um, a couple of things that you can look at if you're trying to hit a high draw um, is just basically getting in your setup, having your feet and, and the club pointing a little bit more right um, down the target line. You want to really just swing out to right field but the last thing you want to try and do is close the club base with your hands um, as you try and close the club base most players tend to flip the wrist adding loft um, and will create a high spinny shot and, and lose all the distance so if you can keep that club a little de-lofted keeping that lead wrist bowed a little bit longer um, and hit through the shot just swinging out to right field most chances you're going to get um, a little bit of, or in most situations you're going to get a little bit of draw there um, to run it to really work on that um, if you're trying to hit a lower shot um, the biggest thing there I can talk about um, is keeping your arms extended forward on your follow-through this holds true to chip shots uh, and pitch shots as well but the longer your arms stay and the less wrist you use the lower your ball flight is going to be um, and the more wrist and the more the arms bend and break on your follow-through, the more loft you're going to add to it, so the higher the shot. So if you need that pressure shot, tee it a little bit lower, keep the arms low. I, I always talk about Zach Johnson at the British Open in 2018. He was actually, didn't win it that year, but top five finish was in contention. But it got so windy that final day, his full swing was stopping at his lead shoulder. He never finished high into the wind. Uh, never let the hands get up, and he was just working on flighting that golf ball down, hitting that little trap draw that he hit so well underneath the wind, and, and again, putting himself in condition there to finish in the top five that week. So, Tommy, kind of use that. Pick your ball flight. I mean, if you're a fader of the ball, there's no sense having you rebuild the whole swing just to hit a draw. Um, but get with your local pro, PGA professional, start looking at some lessons, have them take a look at your swing, and see if they can help you pick out your go-to ball flight. Um, and just kind of play that. I mean, again, pick you one shot and hit that 90% of the time. Um, and those 10% that you have to work it, figure out a way that you can actually play the hole without working it. Um, and you'll be a lot better off just trying to hit one shot and try to, instead of trying to hit it both directions. So, shifting gears from the listener's questions, going to a little bit of personal note here. So this issue of Dolph Digest that just came out that has Harold Varner III on it, um, issue number 8 for 2020, has an article about America's best 18 holes since 2000. Now, I talked about I went and played the Honors Council Fire Pro in this week, um, and both of those courses were built before 2000, so they're not on the list. But the course we played on Sunday on the way up, which is a reopened, redesigned Macklemore by Bill Bergen, uh, in Rising Fawn, Georgia, just across the, the state line. Formerly known as Canyon Ridge, uh, opened several years ago, been in, been on top of the mountain, amazing golf course, a lot of elevation changes. But so they came in, and Bill 
basically changed every hill. I was talking to Doug, the the head professional general manager there, um, on Sunday about it, and they changed every hole. Now it may have been a tee box addition or moved to green or a couple of bunkers, but on the 18th, they moved it further down the cliff, recreated it, um, and it is actually in the top 18, ranked as the 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 18th, the finishing hole. So it's the best finishing hole since um, induction in 2000. Um, also on that list is Black Creek, which is just across the straight line there um, in Georgia. Um, it's a Brian Silva design, uh, number five, the par five at 559 yards. Um, very cool layout display there at Black Creek. Um, used to host um, a thenweb.com, now Corn Ferry event. Um, but to the locals, um, the par five number six is known as the punch bowl. Um, when you get to the tee box, it's a, a fairly wide open fairway, a couple of bunkers down the left side. There is a little drainage creek um, that runs down the right, but the fairway is pretty large. Um, you rip your tee shot down there, and then all of a sudden you're looking at this 40-foot mound of high grass and dirt. Uh, and then in the distance is a target on an, uh, a, a pole. Uh, and I don't mean a flagpole, I mean more like a telephone pole. This thing sits up like 70, 80 feet in the air. And the punch, the, the reason it's called the punch bowl is once you get over that ridge, it's a downhill run to the green, and the green is shaped like a bowl. So if you throw the shot over, it's going to hit the slope, tend to roll back on. If you hit out to the left, it rolls down, breaks to the right. Now the creek does roll out on the right side. But you can be land the ball 20, 30 yards short on this particular hole and get the run up. Uh, but the punch bowl is an amazing hole. Uh, I've always enjoyed playing out there. But you know, it's the blind second shot. You rip your tee shot. You, you pick your point. You hit. You hope. And you go up there and, and find which one of the golf balls down there is yours. But now, going to the 18th at Macklemore, this hole, you're standing on the back, and you're on, there's no more land to your left. Once you run out of fairway and green, it is rock cliffs and overlooking um, the valley there in the Georgia side. Great little par four, uh, 435 yards. Uh, rip it up the right side, fairway slopes right to left, so it'll kind of roll back out. Uh, you can hit driver, but you start bringing one of the ravines into play where it narrows down. Second shot's elevated up over the hill, so you got to kind of add an extra club up that hill. And if you get a chance, get the Golf Digest, look at the 18th. Again, it's an amazing view. Uh, you can also go to Macklemore Club. Um, I know that they've got a lot of stuff going on there. Um, they just added a new par three course. They've got some stay and play cabins that you can do. Uh, there's a resort being built um, that we could see the layout for while we're there. But again, just an amazing hole, uh, great opportunity to play. So reach out, but check out the new Golf Digest. Look at the top uh, 18 holes since 2000, and we've got two representations in the Tennessee section. Even though it's Georgia, it's closer to Tennessee, so we get to claim it uh, a little bit. So. Great opportunities to play, uh, great golf courses there, but check those out if you get a chance. Well, I kind of made this show about me this week, a little bit of my play, a little bit of the tournament coverage that I was in, but yeah, enough about me. Let's get back to y'all. So keep the questions coming in. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's hard to believe this is week 34 um, of the podcast, so if you're just now tuning in, go back, listen to them all, uh, like them, five stars, shoot me some results, find out, let me know what you want to know and, and what I can do better about this. But again, my name is Paul Brennan. 
PGA Professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? Check out the show. Rate us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, uh, and tune in. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also keep those questions coming in on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So for me, I just figured up I played eight rounds in the last 11 days. So I'm going to take a day or two off, hit it hard again next week. Uh, hopefully y'all have been out playing as much as I have and enjoying the weather. But we're in the midst of tournament season. We've got a lot of big things going on in Tennessee. So check out the golfhousetennessee.com. You can find all your professional, amateur, junior golf, uh, and Tennessee Golf Foundation events updated there. But like I said, get out, play, have fun, and we'll talk to y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.